0: This morning, if you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about a journey. And oftentimes, when you think about journey, you think about travel, uh, opportunity to go see the mountains or the water or family, uh, get a travel to just get away to make memories. And so, this morning, as you gather around the Word of God, I want to take you on a little journey uh, through the book of uh, Matthew. We're in that process, but looking at specifically at Matthew chapter 27. This morning as we uh, enter into this journey, I wanted you to kind of walk with me uh, as we walk with Christ towards the cross. It's an opportunity for us this morning as we walk and look at this passage of Scripture, I really would challenge you to spend some time uh, outside of this building around Matthew chapter 27. Just looking at some verses in this Matthew chapter 27 and thinking about you and him, and the road that Jesus walked specifically for you. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 27, I want you to start uh, over here in verse 11. Okay, so I'm going to take you first off to where he is before Pilate. So in this first little section, I want to read you some, some verses. Look at tw- Matthew chapter 27, 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So you have Jesus Before Pilate. I'm pretty sure there was never a time in history that somebody stood before Pilate and they made accusations about this individual that there was no individual in history that stood before him and didn't answer, except Jesus. Now, I want you just to kind of paint this a little bit for you. Think about what Christ is being accused of and has done nothing wrong, but why does he stand there? Why does he allow these things to be said? Why does he allow all these false accusations to be flung towards him with no response? Well, one is to be uh, fulfillment of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. Another one was is he had love for you. And if Jesus would have responded to the actions or accusations or stepped outside of this trial, guess what? You and I would not have forgiveness of sin this morning. And I don't know for you, but it's been an interesting journey for me as I sat around just reading Matthew chapters 27 and then just thinking about it. Thinking about the things that he could have said but he didn't say. Things that it could have protected him from being crucified but he chose not to. Because he loved me. Because he wanted a relationship with me. And that is true for you this morning too. As you read on a little bit farther... Go down to verse 15. Now the feast of the governor had accustomed to release from the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had, and they had a notorious prisoner by the name of Barabbas. So when they gathered, Pilate asked them, whom do you want to, me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is the Christ? Now just imagine Pilate thinking, you know what? We're talking this Jesus thing. Everybody's making these accusations. He's not responding to him. So what's going to take place? I'm going to get out of this kind of easily. I'm going to ask them, who do you want to be released? The notorious criminal or Christ? And I'm pretty sure as Pilate sat there, he was thinking, you know what? I am really clever. This is going to be an easy one. Because the one person had done nothing wrong. His name was Jesus. The other person was a criminal, notorious. People hated this guy. He's there for a reason. He should be in prison. But Jesus shouldn't. And as this goes on, drop down a little bit in verse 21. The governor asked again to them, which one of these two do you want me to release? For you. And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with this Jesus who is the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So you have this picture of an individual who should have paid the penalty of being in prison, and the one that did nothing wrong has no guilt has no accusation that should allow him to be crucified. What's interesting to me is you go down to verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Public display of a Roman individual washing his hands, saying, guess what? I'm not in this. I do not want to be the guy, go down in history, to say, you know what, I'm the one that crucified the Messiah. So what's really kind of interesting here, Jesus was killed by the Romans for no crime. The Roman soldiers are going to crucify Christ for doing nothing wrong. And Jesus will allow it to happen. For you. As you journey through life today, as you enter into next week and Monday morning comes and you get an opportunity to wake up and do whatever you're gonna do, I want you to have a vivid image in your mind of a Savior that loved you so much that He chose to die on a cross for you. I want you to know some of the details of leading up to that crucifixion. If you read on a little bit farther, I'm innocent of this. Go down to verse 20, uh, end of 25. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released from them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him over to be crucified. So standing before Pilate, no answer, but this is going to take place. I don't know if you've thought this week much about what it was like to be scourged. I've been thinking about it. So what this meant was, one of two things was going to take place. They were either going to tie Jesus' hands together, stretch his arms over his head just enough so his feet would probably still be on the ground, but his whole back and stomach and legs would be exposed. And that meant they were going to put some leather straps together with some type of metal, some type of bone designed to rip flesh off. Designed to brutally beat somebody. One article that I read, most likely, probably mo- you could see most of his kidneys were exposed by the time that he's crucified. So as we walk on this journey, I want you to have a picture in your mind, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords having the power to move it any time he wanted to, allowed soldiers to tie his hands together or tie him to a post and allow a whip to wrap around his body and flesh to be removed from his body. The Romans were known for gruesome death. This was not going to be something to happen quick. And so every time that that soldier ripped back his whip, Jesus knew that. And at any moment, Jesus could have said, stop that arm about right there. But never one time did he stop the arm. Never one time did he stop the whip in the air. Never one time did he step aside and say, hold on, time out. I'm the Savior and the creator of heaven and earth. I don't need to go through this. I don't know if, Jesus was, if your name was running through Jesus' mind as flesh was ripped off his body but I know something. He stood there for you. He stood there for an individual that was rebellious and said, you know what, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm not interested in you. And Jesus said, that's okay. You can be rebellious, but I'm going to die on a cross so that you would know and have the opportunity for forgiveness of sin. But what's so fascinating to me is it, does, it doesn't just stop with the scourging, there's more that's going to take place. Now, if you go down to Matthew chapter 27, and look at verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the garden headquarters, and they gathered a whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, "Hail, King of the Jews." And then they spit on him. And then they took that reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him away of the robe and put on his clothes and led him the way to be crucified. I want you to see this picture vividly on this journey. Probably somewhere around 600 or more Roman soldiers took the one that was willing to say, you know what, I will demonstrate in history my love for the whole world, this is what it's gonna look like. I'll let them place a crown of thorns on my head, and I will allow them to walk up to me and spit in my face. I will allow them to take my right hand that's holding this reed and whack it against my head. I will allow them to do whatever they're gonna do because there's gonna become a time and a place where I'm gonna to get to say, it's finished, it's done. And so this morning, as you sit here as a family on a journey through the book of Matthew, right to the cross, I want you to see Jesus very, very vividly here. I want you to see a picture of what it looks like in human flesh to give up your life for somebody else. That's why he's here. He didn't come to earth to elevate himself, he didn't come to earth to write a book, he didn't come to earth for recognition. He came to earth on a mission, and that mission was to be purposefully beaten and laughed at and mocked so you would have forgiveness today. But see, it doesn't stop there, right? It goes farther. He's going to carry the cross. They're going to find an individual to carry the cross for him. It doesn't stop there. Now you're going to take this beaten and broken body, flesh open, lay them on a piece of wood. It doesn't stop there. Then they're going to stretch out his right hand and his left hand. And then they're going to drive a nail through both of those. And then they're going to put his feet together. And then they're going to nail those together. And now he's going to hang for the whole world to see, fighting for his life. Kind of doing whatever he can do to stretch his his legs down and push up just enough so he can get some more breath. All along, at any moment in this opportunity, he could have said, done. I don't know about you, but I think we need to spend some time thinking about it. Most of us get aggravated if we just get a cramp in our calf or our foot. Can you imagine what what his body was going through just hanging there? without being in the whole beaten part, just just hanging there, flesh, hanging, muscles, spasm after spasm, legs that are just, you know, what's left of flesh on his body? What was it like to try to push yourself up against this rough cross just to get a breath? I don't know and I never will know but I should know because I should die for my sin. I should have been the one on that tree. I was the one living in rebellion, not Jesus. I was the one saying, hey, make this world about me, not Jesus. As you go along a little bit farther in the book of Matthew, You'll read some more words. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. John says to us that he cries out with a loud voice it's finished, it's done. I've done everything that was asked of me. I was asked to stand before Pilate, give no response. I was asked to stand before this Roman soldier and allow him to scourge me I was asked to stand before this whole praetorium guard however many it was and I was asked by my father to allow them to spit in my face to take a reed and beat me on the head with it to allow them to make fun of me for some hours here hey king of the Jews oh you're not so big now We sit on a a seat this morning on 3750 Hammock Road and we have a hard time not telling people I told you so. We have a hard time not winning an argument. But the one who gave his life for us, the one who made a way to show you this morning, to show me, to remind us this morning what it looks like to empty yourself, even become you beaten to death, death on a cross. That's what Christ did for us. Should go on to verse 57. Let me just go back. I want you to Not that picture. Why don't you see this one? You look at the down in verse 51 and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the whole earth shook, and the rocks were split. Matthew leaves this in here for a specific reason, not so much for what you and I are thinking when we read through the book of Matthew, but to a Jewish individual, this is huge. This meant that there was this this curtain that separated. the holy of holies from the normal person. So once a year, the high priest would come in and offer a blood offering for the forgiveness of sin. That only happened once a year. There's only one high priest a year would do that. And so at this point in history, in Matthew, he reminds the Jewish believers, guess what? That curtain was ripped from top to bottom. That gave all of the Jewish people, and now us today, an opportunity to walk in and say, hey, thanks, Savior, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not just forgiveness of my sin, but say, Jesus, I'm thinking about this. Jesus, this is going on inside of who I am. A personal now relationship, one-on-one. God, what do you want to do in my life? So it's open now. It's no longer that you have to come talk to an individual to go talk to Jesus. He's waiting to hear your voice. We wake up tomorrow morning and talk to him. We wake up tomorrow morning and say, Jesus, I want to just thank you for a a new day today. The burial. When an evening had come, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus, he went to Pilate and asked for the body, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in clean linen shroud. And he laid it in his own tomb. And then he rolled a great stone over it. I just want you to see that Jesus was actually dead. You don't lay there after what Jesus has been through, scourged, crucified, and allow somebody to wrap your body with linens without being dead. So it's over. Joseph of Arimathea could to testify to that. Nicodemus could testify to that. The Roman soldier that stuck the sword in his side could testify to that. And then you read this. And the next day, on the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, Do you ever remember reading after Jesus' resurrection that he addressed them calling him an an, uh, imposter? Do you ever read after Jesus comes back from the grave? By the way, I just want to remind you guys what you said. I, I just want to prove that you were wrong and I'm right. Do you ever see that anywhere? No. Go into all the world. Tell people about this. I'm alive. And so these people are so concerned that this Jesus is going to rise back from the dead, that they're going to put guards around there, not, not just church people like, hey, go guard this. No, people that were trained to guard an area, guard this, because the disciples might show back up. They might steal the body. And so this morning, as you, as you look at Matthew chapter 27, Pilate, governor's headquarters, crucifixion. This all happened for the forgiveness of your sin so that you will be able to say one day that you have been loved sacrificially and be reminded of what Christ did for you. This all happened so that you would have hope today. There will never be a time in history that an orphan could say, you know what? Nobody loved me. No, no, there was one. His name was Jesus. And if you really want to know what that looks like, I'll take you back to Matthew chapter 27. I'll show you what this looks like. I'll show you what it was like for him to stand before Pilate, not open his mouth. I'll show you or remind you what it was like for his body to be ripped apart, scourged, to be crucified, to show you eyewitness accounts of individuals that were there that wrapped his body together. I'll show you. so do you know this, Jesus? Is there something inside of you right now that there's just this overwhelming sense of, wow, what what a hero, what a savior. I have forgiveness today. Has there been a time in your life, I was thinking about Romans chapter 10, that you've ever confessed? You know what? I need to confess that that Jesus that died on the cross is my forgiveness of my sin. We sang this morning, he took your place. I mean, do you, do you realize that this morning? It should have been my life on that tree. It should have been us. Is there an overwhelming gratitude inside of who you are saying, okay, I get it. I got a comprehension of what you've done for me. This will never happen uh, as long as I'm on staff at Bible Fellowship Church. But if i if. This will probably never happen. This is how God works. But I'll never be able to write you a $2 million check. But if I could write you a $2 million check today and give it to you, you would treat me different for the rest of your life. You would. Here's $2 million, no strings attached. Here it is. It's just yours. I just want to give you a gift. Just out of kindness. I know you don't deserve it, but, you know, it'd just be fun to be able to do it. Here it is. Here's the gift. I can't give you $2 million, but I can give you a Savior who gave it all for you. And my prayer is over time that you'll cultivate a heart of overwhelming thankfulness to Him. You'll cultivate a heart that says, you know what, God? I know this is going on, but I have hope because you're my Father. I hope that over time they'll cultivate inside of you. When you have the opportunity to be right, that you just, it's not a big deal when you have the opportunity to go serve somebody, because we have been served, because we have spent time thinking about what did my Savior do for me, I'll be more than happy to help you. Instead of, well, I got Jesus, but it's just, it's just me today. Well, if Jesus loves me, then he would do I want you to, you know, just think your way through this right now. If you're telling Jesus what to do, Jesus never told his father what to do. When was the last time you surrendered to God's plan for your life in biblical obedience? Emptying yourself and say, okay, here's my life. I'll do what you want me to do. Because what's before you this morning should be a symbol that reminds you, one, of what salvation cost. Two, we should never be forget that we have a debt that needs to be repaid. We can't repay the debt, but there should be an overwhelming passion in our soul to have this relationship with the one who died for us. Instead of us sitting in our seat saying, you know what, God? I need you to do this, 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 this and this. Give me, 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 give me. I'll be happy. Just give it to me. What an insult to the one that never said to his dad, give me. What an insult to the one that was spit in his face. And now you're saying to him, no, you just stay over there, Jesus. Jesus. I'm doing what I want to do. So, Father, here we are as a family. Walking down a little journey called Matthew chapter 27. So, Father, I don't know who's sitting in here this morning that needs to say yes to you. I don't know who's in here this morning that says, you know what? He gave me life. He gave me salvation. He made it available to me, so receive it. Humble yourself enough to say, okay, I'll receive something from from you, Jesus. Father, I think there's a bigger question in this room. I think there are people in here that think they have salvation, and they think they can tell you what to do. So, Father, I pray you get their attention before it's too late. I pray you would pause their world in such a way that they would get on their knees before you and say, okay, I'm sorry. I'm living in disrespect to the one who gave his life for me and, and I'm living for myself. So Father, thank you for a vivid reminder of Jesus being become, for him being become obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, Father, may we become sons and daughters that are obedient, even obedient to saying no to what we think and saying yes to what you say. So, Father, you're the only one that can do that, so we're going to ask you for help. We love you, Jesus. Your name I pray. Amen.